morning. Thank you for having us this morning. I want to thank you for your prayers and support for our ministry at Johns Hopkins. Uh, Johns Hopkins has over 5,000 international students and scholars from over 100 nations. So that makes the campus a great mission field for us. Uh, pray for us as we, as we approach the fall semester and try to figure out how to open again all our ministry programs in the fall semester in person. Uh, pray for us for, for wisdom and guidance to do that. But students are coming back to the campus, uh, so that's, that's exciting for us. Let's turn your Bible to John 17. John 17, we're going to look at verse 1 to 16. John 17 is, is the prayer of Jesus for us all. John 17, verse 1 to 16, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So my name is Jacob Jason, and my last name is spelled J-A-S-I-N, and not J-A-S-O-N. And because of my last name, many people sometimes mistakenly call me Jason, J-A-S-O-N. But Jason is a form of Jason, so I don't mind if people call me Jason. And Jason is a form of Joshua, which is of Hebrew origin. And Joshua means the Lord is my salvation. So my last name, Jason, means the Lord is my salvation. Now what about my given first name, Jacob? Jacob is also of Hebrew origin. 
And the meaning of Jacob is a supplanter, he who supplants. A supplanter is someone who takes the place of someone else with a purpose. In Hebrew, Jacob also means he who grabs the heel. In the Bible, Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob, and they were twins. Esau came out first and Jacob came out next with his hand holding Esau's heel. And that's why he got the name Jacob, he who grabs the heel. And Jacob tried to take the place of Esau, so he was a supplanter. But God later changed his heart and made him the father of Israel. God is the Lord of his salvation. Now, have you ever studied the meaning of your given name and your family name? If you have not, there is a tool that can help you. It's called Google. So John 17 here is known as the high priestly prayer. It's Jesus spent the last three years of his life with his disciples. He taught them the word of God. He discipled them. He equipped them. He trained them. He had done all his best. And in the night before he was arrested and crucified, he spent time with his disciples. He had supper with them. He washed their feet. And then he prayed for them. And his prayer is not only for his disciples at the time, but for all his disciples in the past, present, and future, so including you and me. We have so many troubles in our lives because we are broken people and we live in this broken world. And there are many times we wonder, what is Jesus doing? Does he know my struggle? Does he know our struggle as a church? Does he care about me and my church? Now, we know the answer is yes, but we struggle with this deep inside our hearts because we cannot see whether Jesus is really doing anything. And today we will look at a portion of Jesus' prayer here in chapter 17, uh, verse 1 to 16, and we will look at four things that Jesus has done for us and continue to do so in our life every day. So we will divide this passage into four sections. First one is Jesus save us. Second, Jesus prays for us. Third, Jesus protects us. And then fourth, Jesus fill us with his joy. So the first one is Jesus save us. This is from verse 6 to 8. In verse 6, Jesus prayed to the Father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. The name of God indicates God in the beauty of his perfections as it is revealed to us. The name of God includes the attributes or the character of God, such as his holiness, his righteousness, and love. Now, what does manifesting or revealing God's name mean? Revealing God's name means revealing the whole character and nature of God. All that God is. God is almighty, all-knowing, and is present everywhere. He is holy and righteous. He has no beginning and no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And Jesus came from heaven to this world to reveal God to us. Just we read before in John chapter 1. He revealed God the Father through his teachings as well as through himself as the Son of God and the Word of God who became a man. Now, to whom 
does Jesus reveal God the Father? To whom? Jesus reveals God in a very special way, not to everyone in this world, but only to a certain group of people. Who are these people? Jesus says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. So there is a group of people whom the Father gave to Jesus out of the world. And this group of people do not belong to the world, but belong to the Father. And the Father gave them to Jesus. This group of people is not everyone in this world, but a selected and chosen group of people. They belong to the Father because the Father gives them special saving grace. God the Father gives everyone in this world his common grace, such as the sun, the rain, the beauty of nature that everyone can enjoy. But to a chosen group of people, the Father gives his special saving grace. The Father gives Jesus to them, and the Father gives them to Jesus. So the Father gives Jesus to you and me, and the Father gives us to Jesus. So you and I belong to the Father. We don't belong to this sinful, corrupted, and broken world. We belong to God and his heavenly kingdom. And the Father sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the punishment of our sins as our substitute, so that by putting our faith in Christ, trusting and surrendering our life to him, we might be saved. So this is God's special saving grace for us. And God, by his special saving grace, sends the Holy Spirit to work in us, bringing us alive from death in sin, helping us to understand the truth of the gospel and to see the beauty of a crucified Savior on the cross, his own son. And by his special saving grace, the Holy Spirit enables us to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to save us from our sins and to sacrifice himself as our substitute. So we are saved by God's special saving grace alone and not by our works. We can put our faith in Christ because the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So we are saved by God's special saving grace alone, through Christ alone, and by faith alone. As Colossians 1 verse 13 say, He, God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved son. So this is the grace of the Father for us. God has given us eternal life in Christ. Now what is eternal life? And Jesus gives us the answer in verse 3. He defined this. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life means having a personal, loving, and meaningful relationship with God for eternity. This is eternal life with God. Continue to grow in knowing God, our Heavenly Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Continue in that right and meaningful relationship where we know God more and more and where we love Him more and more. So the more we know God in all His perfection, the more we love Him. And the more we understand God's love, wisdom, holiness, and beauty, the more we love him too. The more we love him, the more we want to know him. 
So this is a beautiful and eternal life with God. If you are married, you know, or, or when you get married, the more you know your spouse in his or her beautiful character, the more you love your spouse if you put aside the weaknesses and the grumpiness. So think about this. God doesn't have weaknesses. He is perfect in all he does. And we get to live with him eternally, knowing him more and more and loving him more and more. How beautiful that life is. And this eternal life is ours because Jesus has saved us. He is the Lord of your salvation. Second, Jesus prays for us. This is verse 9 and 10. Jesus prays for us. Jesus said to the Father in verse 9, Father, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So Jesus always prays for us. He prays for you and me. He prays for us all the time because he knows our weaknesses and our struggles. He never stops praying for you. And no one will ever pray for us without stopping. Only Jesus, who never stops praying for you and me. He never takes a weekend off. He never takes a vacation. He's always there for you, either in the morning, in the afternoon, in the night, after night, midnight. You can always come to him. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't take a nap. He is always there for you. So if you are discouraged because of any situations, please know that Jesus is praying for you all the time. And at any time you want to talk to him, he he is always there for you. When you have no one to talk to, you can come to Jesus. You can still talk to him. He always prays for us and is always available for us. When Jesus carried the cross to the hill to be crucified, it wasn't his cross that he carried. It was ours. It was your cross and my cross. And Jesus could abandon the cross and left us dead in our sin. But he didn't do that. He kept carrying our cross because he kept thinking about us. So you and I were in his mind as he carried our cross. He never gave up on us, never abandoned us. And he remains faithful to us even now, praying for you and for me all the time. Where is Jesus now? The book of Hebrews tells us that he is at the right hand of the Father, praying and mediating for us. He is our great high priest and mediator. Now, in the Old Testament, the job of a high priest is to mediate between God and his covenant people. Now, we don't need a man to be our high priest because we have the Son of God himself as our great high priest. Hebrews 4 tells us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus is our great high priest. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses weaknesses in every respect. He's the perfect mediator between God and us. Why? 
Why is Jesus the perfect mediator between God and us? First, because he is God himself. He's the son of God. And then second, he is God who became human, become a man like us. He has on-the-job experience. So the son of God humbled himself and took this job. And he was proved to be obedient. Jesus was faithful to go to the cross. And he is still faithful now as our mediator and intercessor. He is a merciful and faithful high priest. He is merciful because he is patient with us, with our failings and weaknesses. And he is faithful because he never stops praying, mediating, and interceding for us before God the Father. Jesus said to God the Father in verse 10, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So all that belong to Jesus belong to the Father, and all that belong to the Father belong to Jesus. We belong to the Father, and we belong to Christ. And we have the honor to have the glory of Jesus manifested in our life. How is Jesus glorified in us? Jesus is glorified in us when we surrender our life to him in repentance and faith. He is glorified in us when we try to imitate him by being his likes in this broken world. We are Christians, literally mean little, little Christ. So we are to reflect his glory and to shine his light in this broken world. And Jesus really wants to be glorified in your life, in my life, because we are his and he is ours. Jesus doesn't need to be glorified in us. He's sufficient in himself, and the Father and the Holy Spirit glorify him. But because we are his people, and we are in a covenant union with him, he wants to be glorified in us. This is our joy. We have a Savior who wants to be glorified in us. He wants to be part of your life because he is the Lord of your salvation. Third, Jesus protects us. This is verse 11 and 12. Jesus protects us. In verse 11, Jesus said to the Father, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. So here, Jesus was about to finish his redeeming work on the cross for us. He will go back to heaven to his Father and will no longer be in the world. And Jesus asked God the Father to keep his people in his name. So what does to be kept in the name of God mean? The name of God indicates God in the beauty of his perfections and God's name reveals his character or attributes. So to be kept or protected in God's name means to be protected in God by his sovereign power, wisdom, and love for us. And this is the eternal security of God's people that you and I are kept and protected in God's name. It also means that we are kept together as a covenant people of Christ. Jesus prayed that all his people may be one as he himself with the Father. 
And Jesus wants all of us to be in unity as one covenant people. Because he knows that the enemies, the enemies will always attack his people and try to divide us and the church. The unity of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the foundations of the unity of Christ's people. There has been a lot of attacks from the enemies to disunite God's people, to give problems and struggles to the church. But brothers and sisters, our unity in Christ is still in good shape, isn't it? Why? Because we are protected in God's name and anybody who wants to mess with us they are going to deal with our God. And good luck to them. Jesus said in verse 12 that because he protected and guarded his 12, he's speaking about his 12 apostles right here, he said none of them was lost except the son of destruction, Judas. So that the scripture, the prophecy about him in the Old Testament might be fulfilled. So why was Judas lost? Did the devil snatch Judas out of Jesus' hands? Is that what happened? No. Judas was never in Jesus' hands. He was not one of Jesus' people whom the Father has given to Jesus out of the world. Judas does not belong to Jesus but belongs to the world. He is the son of destruction because he is of the world. Judas was lost and destroyed because he had never repented from his sins and put his faith in Christ alone, trusting and surrendering his life to him. Judas put his faith in money and not in Jesus Christ. He was not a born-again Christian, but a kind of a cultural Christian. You know, not all who say that they are Christians are true Christians or born-again Christians. Many people follow Jesus with different reasons. Judas followed Jesus because he wanted to get money and build a reputation for himself. And many people who say that they are Christians are false Christians. Many cultural Christians are false Christians and they are not born-again Christians. Who are cultural Christians? Cultural Christians are those who identify themselves as Christians due to family background, personal experience, uh, experiences, or social and cultural environment in which they grew up. So they wear the label Christians, but the label has more to do with family background or upbringing than any personal conviction that Jesus is Lord over their life. Cultural Christianity is more social than spiritual. A cultural Christians identify with certain aspect of Christianity, such as the good work of Jesus, but rejects the spiritual aspect required to be a biblically defined Christian. What about born-again Christians? Who are born-again Christians? Born-again Christians are those who have repented from their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ alone as their personal Lord and Savior, trusting and surrendering their life to Him. Born-again Christians are true Christians, and true Christians have a transformed life. There will be evidence in their life. Love and faithfulness to Jesus Christ will be seen in their life. Born-again Christians are in union 
with Christ, and he protects them in God's name. In John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lay down his life for the sheep. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. So Jesus is our good shepherd, and he shepherds us. He protects us from the evil one. We are in his hands, and no one can snatch us out of his hands. We have an eternal, loving, and meaningful relationship with him. So questions we can ask ourselves, am I a born-again Christian, or am I a cultural Christian? Have I repented from my sins and put my faith in Christ alone? And do I follow him faithfully? Is Jesus my only Lord and Savior? Are there anything more, more important to me than Christ? Am I in a covenant union with Christ? If you are in a covenant union with Jesus Christ, then whatever is true about Jesus Christ is also true about you. If Jesus is holy and righteous, then you are holy and righteous before God the Father in your union with Christ. You have been justified and you are being sanctified in Christ now. If Jesus is beautiful and glorious, then you are beautiful and glorious in your union with him. And if you are in union with him, you are not of the world. You belong to him and nothing and no one can snatch you out of his hands because he is the Lord of your salvation. For Jesus fills us with his joy, verse 13 and 16. Jesus fills us with his joy. Jesus' disciples heard these things that Jesus said in his prayer to God the Father for them. Now, why did Jesus say these things before his disciples? Jesus said in verse 13, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That they, have, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus did not say that they may have their joy fulfilled in themselves, but he said that, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Do you see the difference? And Jesus had actually said similar thing in chapter 15. Jesus was teaching his disciples about being fruitful Christians. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. And he wants us to abide in him and be fruitful. He says in chapter 15, verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus knows that we need, what we need is his joy, his own joy. You know, joy is different than happiness. Happiness is outward and depends on circumstances. If you get a gift for your birthday, you are happy. If you eat good food, you are happy. If, if the food is not good, either too salty, too spicy, you start grumbling. But joy is different. Joy is inward. It comes from knowing and trusting God in our life. Joy is one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and then what? Joy. 
So Jesus doesn't say that we will have our own joy. He said that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So it is his own joy that we will receive if we abide in his love. Now what kind of joy is Jesus' joy? It is joy from his union and perfect loving relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit from eternity. The joy and the love of the triune God is powerful. Do you know why God created us? He created us so that we can also experience this kind of love and joy that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have among themselves since eternity past. When God created the universe, He spread His joy to His creation, including us. And that's why Psalm 19 said that the universe joyfully declare the glory of God. So think about this. It is his own joy, Jesus' joy, that Jesus gave to us. And that kind of perfect joy will make your joy full. This kind of joy is not affected by any circumstances. So if you have certain struggles in your life, ask Jesus to give you his joy. If, if the current situation in this broken world or the current situation that you face together as a church make you anxious and discouraged, Jesus said, come to me, all, who, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So come to Jesus. Don't let your heart be troubled. Come to him, rest in him, and he will give you peace. Now, if you have not put your faith and trust in him alone, please do so because your heart will continue to be unrest, weary, and burdened until you rest in him. Jesus then say in verse 14 and 15, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That you keep them from the evil one. We have three enemies in this world. It's the flesh, the world, and the devil. The flesh is our own sinful nature that is still attached here in our bodies. This sinful and broken world is also our enemy because we are not of this world, just as Jesus is not of this world. And then the evil one, the devil, who always attacks us by using this broken world and our sinful nature and weaknesses. He attacks us all the time. So the flesh, the world, and the devil are our three enemies. Jesus doesn't ask the Father to take us out of the world, but to keep and to protect us in his name from the evil one. Why, why does Jesus ask the Father not to take us out of the world? Because it is not the time yet. There are still many people who need to hear the gospel, the good news of Christ. And Jesus has given us the great commissions to make disciples of all nations. Jesus loved all his people who are scattered everywhere in all nations. And he wants us to share, to bring the gospel to our friends, to our neighbors, to the people around us, and to be his partner in his global missions 
to bring his people to himself as one people. And being a part of other people's journey to eternity is the most significant love that we can demonstrate as followers of Jesus Christ. Being on missions with Jesus to bring his gospel to the nation is the greatest joy that you and I can ever have. When we are on missions with Jesus Christ, he fills us abundantly with his joy. So until Jesus and his gospel become the joy of our hearts, we are going to struggle to find joy. Jesus is coming back. He has told us in in John 14, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This is Jesus' heart. He wants to be with you forever. So let us live our life with a vision of heaven that Jesus is coming back and will take us to his kingdom, our true home, the new heaven and the new earth where we will have the ultimate joy. And Jesus has given us the visions, clear visions in Revelation 17. Behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples and languages standing before the Lamb. Jesus Christ himself. And then Jesus say in Revelation 21, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes, from from your eyes and my eyes. And behold, I am making all things new. So Jesus is the Lord of our salvation. He has saved us from our sins and he will come back to take us home. But until then, he continued to protect us, to pray for us, and to fill us with his own joy. To him be all the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son to save us from our sins. Thank you that you protect us daily in your name. Father, we feel secure to be in your hands because we know that you are in control of this world. And may your will be done in our life on earth as it is in heaven. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us and for being a good shepherd for us. Teach teach us to love, sharing sharing your gospel to others. And may your joy be in us and make our joy full. Thank you that we can come to you and rest in you. We pray in your name. Amen.